A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award-winning seating, They always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. You're listening to Achtel Noor. Hello, dear listeners. Welcome to a very special edition, a tribute to a major figure in football, uh, Theo Foley, who sadly passed away this week. A major figure in football, a major figure in, in Millwall history too. And to just to do a little consideration of Theo's contribution to the game and the Lions generally, I'm joined by a regular contributor, Neil Andrews. Welcome to the show, Neil. Morning. And Theo Foley, I mean, he's, he's, he's probably... A lesser-known name in some ways, um, but we had two standout seasons with Theo as, as an assistant manager. So it's an awkward role being assistant, isn't it? You 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 play a vital part in a side, um, and yet you don't get any of the glory. I'm thinking of the seventy-five, seventy-six season here and the Golden Jago, which was a promotion season, great season from my own personal memory, and then also nineteen eighty-four, eighty-five under George Graham. But a, a vital cog in two fantastic seasons for the Lions. Yeah, it's it's quite strange, isn't it? That you've got an assistant manager who worked under two different managers because normally they go wherever the manager departs and, you know, they kind of travel around with them, don't they? So um, I know Theo ended up following Graham, George Graham around quite a bit, um, especially later in his career. Um, but, you know, to, to have that achievement, I think it's quite remarkable. Um, I'm trying to think of any other kind of assistant manager who's worked under two very successful managers. And, you know, no names readily spring to mind. But you always think of um, Brian Clough and obviously... You know, Peter Taylor. Yeah. Peter Taylor is, you know, kind of the epitome of, you know, the assistant manager, you know, who's the bedrock of the manager's performances and obviously the manager's success as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it is quite an achievement. And I've just done a little bit of research, obviously, for the show listeners. And I was actually struck by Theo's achievements in the game because, you know, we, we, we tend to look at life for a Millwall um, prison on this show. Um, I hadn't realised, Neil, that as a, as a player, um, he'd played for Northampton Town in the kind of early to mid-60s during a fantastic run of form for Northampton. They, they actually went from the fourth division to the to the first division, um, which again, it's, you know, people talk about Wimbledon in the 80s, but that was that was a huge achievement for a small town club, wasn't it? Yeah, it's kind of long forgotten that Northampton Town actually made their top flight. Um, I think they were in the top flight the year England won the World Cup. Um, yeah. And I th- was he captain? I was right in thinking he was captain, but he also... Captain and centre-half, yeah. I believe. Yeah. yeah, and he was also capped by the Republic of Ireland as well, but then kind of injury curtailed his career. But yeah, it's kind of one of those things when... It's like all assistant managers, isn't it? You know, you sometimes forget 
just what a good playing career they had. I mean, it's the same with Brian Clough, actually. You know, fantastic goal scoring record, um, you know, England international. But people forget about that. Well, unless you've seen the film, Good Day yeah, United. Yeah. You forget about that, you know, some of these, you know, um, players came, had very successful careers. I mean, even George Graham to a certain extent. I know he was kind of seen as, um, I think someone once called him the Nietzsche of Man United when he went there, which I think was um, a bit generous. But, um, you know, it was, it, it's one of those kind of things that you kind of forget about. But, um, you know, because I always remember the, my earliest, oh, I'd say the earliest, the memory of Theophilia at Millwall that sticks out um, was a kind of testimonial memorial game for, is it Gordon Borland? Who yeah, was the, the club, club secretary, secretary who yeah, died. Yeah, yeah. And um, they had an England game. It was going to be a, so a celebration and he died two weeks beforehand. But Millwall played an England select 11 during yeah. the season and played the England team. But beforehand, they had a kind of uh, managers and coaches versus ex-players. And there was a photo in the programme of Theo Foley with Harry Cripps, you know, on opposite sides yeah. of the, the yeah. teams, as it yeah. were. And that way stuck out because, you know, going through your old programmes, um, you know, it's like you had the promotion season, obviously, then as well. But it's, it used to pop up on TV programmes, like um, the big match and radio. And you always remember... Or I always do. Anyone that ever had a connection with Millwall, you always think, oh, yeah. And being young, I always thought you played for Millwall because of that photo rather than just being assistant manager. And it was only kind of when I was about 13, 14, I realised that you never actually played, but, you know, had a key role on the backroom staff, should we say. Yeah, I mean, born in Dublin, 1937, his um, Irish club originally was a team called Home Park. I don't know if they still exist in, in uh, I presume, a Dublin side. I've got a funny feeling Dave Savage came from Home Park, or was it Home Farm? It's a, it's a, it's one of those names that um, you kind of hear, but I, I, I don't know enough about Home Park to, to, to comment. We've definitely had another player in recent years from Home Park. I know, uh, sadly, I came from St Patrick's, I believe, mm-hmm. which is another another Dublin side. Um, Theo crossed the the Irish Sea, as they put it, and took in such um, diverse clubs as Exeter City, then then Northampton, where he enjoyed probably. His biggest playing success, I mean, to captain a team from Division 4 into Division 1 is... And it, I mean, this was playing at the old cricket ground, the county ground in, in Northampton. Mm. It's, you know, it's a, it's a strange... Um, you can't imagine a team doing that in the, in the modern world. I mean, I suppose Wimbledon being a classic example, but, you know, to, to be playing on a cricket pitch effectively and, and to, to make that journey is captained by Theo Foley, um, known for his robust tackling, which I think was what eventually would cost him his, his playing career, Neil. I think he, he, mm. I think he injured his knee, knee and, and that also cost him his international place as well. Yeah, um, but football was a different world back then, isn't it? We always seem to, well, everyone's guilty of looking back um, with modern vision, as it were, mm. or, you know, a modern perspective. You know, football was a different landscape back then. You know, teams could go to places like Exeter City and lose and go to Northampton and lose. And teams like Northampton and Exeter City could have a very bedded in team that could actually perform as a team and go through the leagues. It's very unlikely it would happen these days unless you put lots of money in like, you know, Wigan to a certain extent. Um, but, you know, back then, you know, players would, you know, journeyman's probably the wrong title, but clubs would offer the same wages. So, you know, the players had to pick and choose where they wanted to live kind of thing. So it's kind of a different world, but these teams were always competitive on their day. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a wonderful photo. You you might have seen it online um, during his Northampton days. Theo set up um, a pie shop. I think it's a chicken pie shop. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is a great, great image of, of a professional footballer for a successful side. I, you know, I know Northampton won't be one of the glamour names, but 
he's having to supplement his income or maybe think about a career post post football because it's almost fragile as, a, as an existence um running his own um chicken pie shop in, in northampton it's you can't imagine players doing any any such thing nowadays but there it was that was that was the nature of the game in those times wasn't it? yeah he wasn't alone was he um no, you know Mal- no. malcolm mcdonald had his own gentleman's outfitters in newcastle didn't he um i know bobby moore had his sports shops um i think jeff hurst had sports shop and when i had a second line especially during summer i remember the famous story of um, ray clements used to stack deck chairs didn't he yeah, that's right. during, during the summer. So they all had kind of their secondary income to supplement their meagre wages as a footballer. I'm sure, and I, I asked Brian King about this when I had the, the fortune to speak to him during the, um, the, the height of the lockdown. I'm sure I remember, maybe some listeners out there can um, change in diverging subjects here slightly, but I'm sure I remember Harry Cripps and Dennis Burnett setting up a paraffin home delivery service. And I remember it being mentioned in the match day programme. This would be very early 70s. Yeah, that rings well. Yeah, um, but if anyone can confirm that, I'd love to. I'd, I'd love to have that memory confirmed because I'm I'm kind of half worried that I've yeah. constructed it in my head. But um, I think the, the last one I remember advertising in the program was Tony Witter at QPR when he used to advertise his electrician services. <laughs> different times, different <laughs> times. But Northampton Town, um, Theo, Theo was played there from '61 to '68, and he's moved on to Charlton Athletic. Um, I think he played and then, then actually managed them. I remember, the first time I remember hearing Theo Foley's name was as Charlton manager, and this would be the early 70s. Um, I think they were a Division Three side during his his uh, time there. Um, so he yeah, he was, he was there with, was it Eddie Firmini? The, yeah. Is it Eddie Firmini? Yeah. South African, South African. Um, Italian. Italian, South African. Yeah. South African. Yeah. Um, but... Foley wasn't, a, I think Foley's, the interesting thing about Foley's career, I mean, there's, there's an obituary in the Irish Times where they described it as a player. He came so close, uh, the Irish side apparently came close to um, uh, qualifying for the 66 World Cup, but didn't make it. So it's so close yet so far, you know, um, injury took away a career. And I think you'd possibly say the same about him as a manager, because although at Charlton in the early 70s, uh, they weren't successful on the field. He actually brought in some major Charlton names, Mike Flanagan, Colin Powell, and Derek Howes being the three main names there that, that have become, you know, part and parcel of, of, of Charlton folklore before he was, uh, thought he was actually sacked in, in 1974. Which brings us on to his, um, his time at the Den, of course, Neil. Uh, was he um, sacked because of the Who concert? <laughs> I think they were broke. I think they yeah, were. They were I, really in bad financial straits, weren't they? Yeah, I mean, the, I remember going to the Valley in the early seventies, and it was, you know, really it was a huge space, a huge ground, um, mm. but it was quite literally falling apart in places. The Who concert was was, I think, um, a, 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 an attempt to try and generate some money. Um, but um, I mean, certainly, I think his, his his job there as manager was to try and balance the books. So I think they 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 were having to sell as fast as they were signing. But he certainly had a, an eye for a player, that's for sure. Um, and then he moved on um, in '75. He actually joined Gordon Jago at the Den. That brought us on to the one of my favourite ever seasons, 1975-76, because as I think I've said on a couple of other shows, that was my first ever successful Millwall season. I'd started going in 72 on the back end of, you know, the kind of heroic failure to, to get promoted in at the end of 1971-72 season. So from there, it was fairly much season-on-season season decline until 
You know, we had been relegated to Division Three, and this was a promotion-winning season and a wonderful season too, Neil, to to be part of. You know, you when you're when you're fourteen, fifteen, you kind of live a, a campaign, don't you? You keep track of the results week in, week out. You write them on your chart on the wall, and you. You know, you have your 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 your, your, your shoot kind of um, yeah, your shoot ladders, yeah, shoot ladders. And I lived this season, and mm. it's even now. It's you know, if you said ask me for my favourite ever season, I probably keep coming back to this one because mm. it was it was that first um, you know first touch of success. Pippin Palace to the third place promotion spot. It had everything, you know. Yeah. You, you had um, some a team with names like you know we, we've spoken before about Trevor Lee and Phil Walker, two truly great signings made by Gordon Jago, but you know um, Theo Foley was was his assistant, um, and you got a sense that that Foley's influence of behind the scenes brought together this 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 team that struggled at the start of the season, and then I think we were mid table around about Christmas. I think we 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 kind of ignited in the from January '76 onwards to promotion in May, and it was just one of those roller coaster seasons where you, you know, with an eventual triumph, there is a happy ending at the end of the fairy story. And to be part of that at the time was was just uplifting, and I'll, I'll never forget the season. Yeah, like I say, it's always about the relationship, isn't it? You know, um, managers always need that sounding board, um, and you always need the right sounding board. I know that sounds very strange, <clears throat> but. Um, just taking it to a few seasons ahead, you know, Addie McLeod, who became Scotland manager, yeah. he had a choice of who he could have as his assistant. And the guy he chose, you know, he could have had Jock Steen, he could have had a few other big names, was not so much a yes man, but could never really influence Addie McLeod's decision making. And a good example of that was the Iran game, when, you know, yeah. they were talking about should Graham Sooners be included? And, you know, assistant said when he left the room, Graham Sooners was in the team that Owen McLeod changed his mind because he didn't quite trust his assistant manager. So, you know, you've really, you know, the, the role of assistant manager, I think, is really um, not undermined, but it's underappreciated just what an important part they play in, you know, the cog of things. And I think we're seeing that at the moment, um, you know, with the departure of um, Callum Davidson. You know, it, it well, just I upsets so. the apple yeah. cart yeah. ever so slightly, you know, and suddenly, you know, if you know they have a bit of advice of where to change things, you know it, it takes a while to build a relationship with an assistant manager. And you know, Clough had the same thing when you know Peter Taylor initially retired and then came back um, as Derby manager. It, it's finding that assistant, um, which is why they always used to tend to have the same assistant throughout their career. Yeah, I mean it's, it's a critical role. I mean the the, the manager by its by the very nature of the role, you you have to be you're picking and choosing. You're choo- you know you're 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 applying preference to one player over another, and sometimes that may not always seem fair on the individuals concerned. Um, so they need somewhere to go. So the managers always has to be the great managers, in my opinion. They're always slightly um, removed from the fray. I mean, I'm thinking obviously of the Sir Alex Ferguson's, for example, slightly austere. Not quite godlike, but they're certainly they're not part of the group. They're not part of the uh, to a level. They're not, they're not part of the day by day bands. Whereas the assistant, I think, is the is the link between the group and the manager, and and, and he's there to do the old classic arm around the shoulder and, and and lend an ear when when someone has something to say. So it's a, it's a massively important role. Um, certainly, everything I've picked up online about Theo Foley um, was the warmth and his and his willingness to to work with players and to nurture them where they needed it. You know, it's, it, it's, it seems to be a, a common thing, whichever club he was at, that seems to be the thing that comes across about me. Yeah. 
I mean, they used to take training a lot, didn't they? And, you know, the assistant managers were like the coaches. They used to yeah. do all the training and, you know, they used to kind of coerce the best out of players. And I think he was, you know, one of those kind of coaches, stroke assistant managers who would try and get the best out of people like um, Lee and Walker, uh, for example. You know, they came from non-league, you know, and there's that famous photo with the host pipe, et cetera. Yeah. You, know, you, you yeah. see him as kind of the guy that, you know, tries to get the player, new players embedded into the team and he is the guy that, the, like you say, the players went to if they had a problem. But, you know, you can't, you know, you can't undermine his role within uh, Jago's um, success, I think, because, you know, I think he was part and parcel of, you know, what they brought to the club in terms of, you know, people talk about, you know, transformations these days, you know, digital transformation, club transformation. But, you know, he, they brought kind of like a cultural transformation they had to. In the previous years of, you know, we were so near and everyone kept going back to that season. They needed kind of like a fresh rethink and, you know, I hate to use the phrase, you know, a reboot from the Benny Fenton era of, you know, okay, yeah. we almost did it. Now we've got to rebuild and go again rather than just, you know, um, think about what might have been, should we say. Yeah, I mean, I suppose, you know, this would be a theme uh, possibly later on in, in um, Theo Foley's career, but he, he worked with some... <laughs> some great names. I mean, Gordon Jago, I think it's sometimes easy to forget. Jago arrived with quite a reputation in the game for being a forward-thinking manager, not just in terms of playing style, but how clubs were, um, you know, constituted and what they were for, if you, if, if you want to put it that way. And it's interesting that Jago moved on to America, where I think he remains to this this day as, a, a, you know, a kind of a new uh, football pioneer, if you like, where you can create things from scratch rather than try to change... Um, tradition as, as 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 English and British football has has always been, um, but I mean after his time with with the Lions, he's moved on to QPR as a coach, where he's worked with Terry Venables. I mean the the, the big names are keep cropping up through Theo Foley's career, don't they? To players, yeah. names that but, are major figures. Yeah, I mean before he went to QPR, you know he was caretaker manager at Millwall. Yeah, and although although the results didn't go his way, I think they. You know, lost four on the spin but you know that, that's like everything that happens in football you know when you lose the manager you need to sometimes either have a bounce or you have a dip in form don't you, depending on how they go yeah and i know he resigned because you know i think we went for harry haslam who harry was haslam Lute, yeah Luton manager who was Luton manager but then went on to sheffield united and signed alex sabella from, yes uh, the argentine yes. yeah um so you can see why he didn't fancy carvalho lane can't <laughs> Um, but, um, you know, I think he was a bit insulted that Mill weren't going to offer him the job or, you know, they were talented brother. I say I have a business, but that makes them sound like they're prostituting themselves, which potentially they were, but, you know, ended up with, um, Petchy, who wasn't the most attack minded of managers. Whereas, you know, maybe CSOD had been given a bit more time, could have produced, should we say, the goods. But I think we were in quite a bad way relegation wise, weren't we, at the time? Yeah, we were yeah, struggling. We, we were, yeah, we weren't having a good season for whatever reason. Well, the main but, reason was the um, Panorama program. And, yeah, you know, I mean, the, many, many like reasons. Um, you know, the club was struggling at that time, and it, it may have been interesting. I mean, just reading a couple of the obituaries and, and, and articles about Theo. I mean, talking about again his management at Charlton in the early seventies. He constructed a side, as as it's put, it was like attack minded. It was it was go forward, get the goals, and um, hopefully score more than you concede. You know, which in some ways, um, it's quite a Millwall mentality in in many ways. Although you know, um, some will say you got you know if you don't don't concede any, you you won't lose the game. So 
certainly I think his, his, his mindset was always to get the ball forward and, and to, um, you know, produce the kind of champagne football in and around the opposition's box. Um, interestingly, while he was at QPR, he's also, um, uh, you know, become friendly with, a, with the young George Graham, who I think was also working as a coach at that time at, at the Queen's Park Rangers. And they would also, you know, come together again um, in 1982 in some very desperate times, Neil, for, the, for Millwall, mm. back at Coldblow Lane. You know, we've mentioned this on a couple of um, nostalgia shows over the break, but I don't think you can really uh, under un, un, underplay the, the dire straits that Millwall Football Club was in in 1982-83. I mean, we were staring down the barrel of relegation to the fourth division and, and possibly even non-existence as, as a football club at that point. Yeah, I mean, football was in a bad place altogether, wasn't it? Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, we mentioned the Clough and Taylor partnership, um, but it's the same sort of thing, you know, CFAD went to QPR, found a like-minded, like-minded coach in George Graham who was looking after their youth team. And, you know, it was the same, you know, conversations over a cup of tea in the canteen about, you know, attacking styles and, you know, the way you should play football. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. When you know how you get the best out of players. And I think we were very fortunate that we had we managed to get someone young and ambitious. He wanted to move into management when yeah. no one else would potentially touched Millwall. No, um, and I it agree. worked out for all parties. You know, um, who are you going to have? Well, at the time, George Graham, best known, like we said, for being Arsenal's double winning side, playing for Man United in the national. Yeah, he's, he's done it on the field, but hadn't really done it as a coach. You know, I know QPR's youth team was successful. I think yes, Millwall were able to take a chance, but the fact that George Graham applied um, was quite good. But um, I read a funny article online um, about when that happened. But uh, Theo Foley went to George Graham and said, you can't go to Millwall, they'll eat you alive. <laughs> and he was trying to talk him out of it, not realising he was going to take him with him the following week. You're listening to Actual Millwall. It's only, yeah, you won't fit in, you don't know the Millwall way. And, um... <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's, it was a wonderful achievement. The George Graham and Theo Foley double acts 
um, not only saved us from relegation to the to the uh, by the skin of our teeth, incidentally, mm. listeners. I mean, it was it was it was a close run thing for us not to be relegated in uh, 1982-83. and then they you know over a season that followed and into eighty four eighty five they developed one of the um, one of the great Millwall sides really to to win promotion yeah. from the third division. You know, you look at the, that team that got promoted. There's some iconic names in there, Neil, including John Fashionu. Um, Tchulikovsky names, you know, um, Kusak names, names that are, you know, that are still spoken about to this day amongst Mill. Yeah, I think the, um, I think the key thing as well is that the team came in, and we joke about it, but you know, it won two trophies. It won the football league trophy in yeah, the standard yeah, five aside yeah. with you know very much fringe players. But again, you know, I think one of the Foley's real skills was identifying, you know, the youth team players like McCleary and Sheringham. Because um, I know George Graham wasn't particularly keen on showing him, trying to get rid of him. But yeah. you, know, you also had an assistant manager there that saw something that could, you know, convince the, the manager not to sell a player or a key asset, you know, further down the line. Um, you know, so they came in. You know, they lifted the club immediately. But I think part of the secret of George Graham's success was that Theo Foley had been at Millwall during bad times and good times yeah. and knew the club. And I think that's key. You know, we've had managers that come in who think they can do it because they've done everything in the past. Or, you know, young managers like um, Lomas, for example, you know, yeah. who, who frees West End connections, was never going to get, the, you know, the forgiveness from the fans, was he? He was always going to be in a hiding to nothing. But to be fair to him, he came in, and I would always put Lomas above Holloway as a manager. And Holloway had been there, seen it, done it, and thought he could just breeze in and do what he'd always done, yeah. which was basically talk bollocks in a press conference after losing. But, you know, Foley came in and you could give Graham the guidance that he probably needed. Otherwise, you know, another assistant manager, he could have made a lot of mistakes and it could have been a lot different. Um, you know, I doubt it because, you know, well, Graham went on to be successful elsewhere, but, you know, you've always got to start somewhere, don't you? Yeah, it takes I mean, a couple of a run of bad games before your managerial career is over. I mean, it's interesting, the success. I mean, from the Theo Foley perspective, he'd had success already with Gordon Jago. He's had success with George Graham here at Millwall, again, you know, promotion to the to the second division in in eighty five, um, and a quarter final, which obviously would you know in the FA Cup, which would not go go well for us, but that was still an achievement. But I mean, to move then on to Arsenal and produce probably one of the iconic Arsenal sides of all time, um, winning the you know the league title in eighty eight eighty nine in the last was the last kick of the season, pretty much, wasn't it? Out there at Anfield, um, and and to spot the and develop players that are still mentioned in Arsenal folklore, is is an incredible achievement. I, th- I think it's um, to be an assistant, you know, on three occasions where you've, you've you've achieved success and you you leave behind a legacy where fans of those clubs still talk about those sides. It, it, it must be what the game's all about, in truth. I know, I know, money's always part of it, but to leave behind the, um, you know, like the Spurs um, slogan, the, the glory, isn't it? That's 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 what you leave behind in the end. That's what they'll be talking about in the years to come. Funny enough, one of the mottos of William Hill was "Leave a legacy," and you know that's what Foley did with uh, George Graham. They left a legacy at Arsenal. They left a legacy at Millwall. Yeah, and everyone when they talk about George Graham, they talk about Arsenal. <laughs> but his success as Arsenal was kind of. It's a mirror image of what he did at Millwall. He came in, won their first cup in years, the League Cup. I think it was their first cup since the FA Cup in 79. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that uh, gave him the time. And obviously, you know, 
Arsenal fans started success to then build a team that actually won the league two years later. It, it's a very, you know, the, the mirror image to that and the success they had at Millwall is, is quite remarkable, which is not commented on a lot, but it kind of like followed the same pattern, very much followed the same pattern. And you had new players coming through as well. Arsenal, you know, they went in and um, they got rid of established names like Tommy Caton um, and yeah. a few others, you know, um, who had been in the Arsenal team for years and kind of rebuilt it from scratch. And they talk about the back four, but, you know, they, they built that back four by, yes, they brought in, you know, Tony Adams, but, you know, they made some good signings in Lee Dixon, you know, Steve Bold, et cetera, um, you know, to get the right pieces of the jigsaw in place to build upon that success. But, you know, it takes a break manager to come in and then just clear out the big names, which is what they did at Arsenal. And I think it's what Arsenal needed at the time. And, you know, when you're rebuilding a side, a manager always needs that sounding block on who to buy, who to go out and scout. Because without that, you know, it all quickly falls apart. You know, I don't know how good David Livermore is, you know, but Neil Harris seems to take him everywhere with him. Um, whether yeah, he's got yeah. pictures of Neil Harris in compromising positions, who knows? <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it's kind of, I think David Livermore is the archetypal kind of assistant manager in that he will never be in the spotlight, but he will be that standing board that the man in the spotlight needs in order to get things done on the pitch. I mean, you I got a prime example is when Morrison scored the winner against Bradford. You know, the camera's cut to the bench and Neil Harris is deep in conversation with David Livermore while everyone else is celebrating. So, you know, it's kind of, you know, what do we do to, you know, do we make changes now? Do we keep it tight, etc.? You may react to something and the idea of the system manager is to keep the cool head when no one else about them is losing theirs. And I think, you know, he did that role pretty well for your 30 for George Graham. Because I think they, they, I think he went to Leeds and then later Tottenham with him after he went back yeah, to management. Yeah, he, 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 he took him to Spurs, yeah. Um, yeah. Managed at Northampton and I think he yeah, coached he left, around yeah. um, Southend and uh, Fulham, I believe as well. But um, he finished up back at Tottenham with, with George Graham. One thing that struck me, just I had a quick flick through um, the, the Twitter account for um, Theo Foley's book, which is called Theo Give Us a Ball. It's, it's on Amazon. It, it looks like a really interesting book. I may order it. Um, have a read of it now because it was written um, by his son, I believe. Yeah, yeah, who's, who's sadly passed away too, which is quite quite tragic this this year, I understand. Mm. Um, so a very difficult year for the Foley family. Um, but one thing that struck me looking through the uh, the Theo Foley Twitter account because obviously these in this modern world this this lives on past your you know past your mortal existence. Your, your Twitter account still carries on, um, but the, the repeat. Um, concern and and interest in the development of youngsters is a, is a repeat theme that I picked up looking through Theo's um, post. There was, I can't remember the name of, the, of a, an Arsenal youngster, but some um, fans were digging out a, a youngster. I can't remember the boy's name now off, off the top of my head. And Theo's basically saying this is, you know, this, this is not what the club used to be about. It was always about the nurturing of players like um, David Rowcastle being the classic example and, and others. Um, and he's, you know, uh, Foley was also involved at, uh, I think, um, Cray Wanderers. He, he was known to be popping down there to work with the youngsters, you know. It's just an interesting role to, because classic footballers don't come from nowhere. Near, they have to be brought through the youth ranks. They have to be Teddy Sheringham, good example from, from the Millwall perspective. They need someone to nurture them along in difficult times. And I'm sure, you know, Foley, you've mentioned sharing already, but I'm sure Foley was part and parcel of Mill persisting with a player that would later become, I'd argue, the, one of the club legends of all time. You know, it, it needs someone somewhere to just put their arm around the shoulder sometimes and talk a boy through a, a tough situation. 
Yeah, I mean, even going back to the first in the Millwall, you know, you look at the youth team that won the youth cup. Um, yeah. You know, uh, the, the season after he left, you know, uh, I think Foley was key in that as well, as well as Gordon Boland, the secretary as well. I think, you know, they had, um, you know, a lot of, the, should we say, their stamp over that team. You know, this team, you know, Millwall, we would have youth players come through, but not to the extent that we had in, you know, later on, 78, 79. Obviously, we needed them because we'd sold everyone else and we didn't have anyone else to play in the team. But, <laughs> you know, when you think about it, I think Phil Coleman's, you know, he, he commented um, online, and I know Merv's written a great book about the team, but Phil Coleman said, you know, someone posted a picture and he said, you know, eight out of the, oh, nine out of the 11 names in the lineup, they all went on to play for the first team, yeah. which is remarkable when you think about it. But the fact they could go on and play for the U team and then go on and carve out a career in professional football says a lot about the players or the managers that brought them through at the earlier ages. So, you know, you, you look at the success they had at 16, 17, but it was the persistence and, you know, the eye for a player at 14, 15, you know, used to make players back then. These days it's different. You know, you have these academies where, you know, most clubs are honest, you know, even Mill were honest, you know, you will take 20 players per year. Of those 20 players, maybe one will make it because it, it's through. just, yeah, yeah it, it's not because they're rubbish or because they don't have the talent. It's just, you know, you need that um, dedication, you need the commitment, you need the breaks, etc. you need the luck. And it's very rare where you, all of them come through at the same time these days, simply because there isn't the opportunities of them because it's a squad game and you have your large squad, so less chance of new players coming through. Mill seems to be returning to that um, era of youth. I which mean, is good to quite, see. Which is good well, to we've see. had quite a few on the bench this season, haven't we? Yeah. Breaking through. Yeah. Um, you know, we had Muller on the bench. Um, yeah. And, it, it Mitchell on Saturday, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dad's army of can you hear me, Muller? Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, you've, you've got all these players, and you know they're coming through now. And it's good to see because we haven't had players like that come through for years. You know, since the Cahill Reed Eiffel days, and even then, you know, Cahill and Eiffel came from other clubs, so you know we didn't nurture them fully. But we still had players around them that you know came out like um, Bertram and a few others, and you know. We need that. We, you know, we need that. Not, not so much a lifeline, but we need this production line. We need to know that our youth policy is working to produce players that can get into the first team. Otherwise, what's the point of having a youth team? And I know some teams have completely disbanded their academies and their youth system. Um, and, you know, they've done that in the past as well. Like Newcastle did it, which is how we got Huckabee on loan. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, so it, it's kind of what do you do? Do you kind of like get rid of it or do you persist with it? And you should only really persist with it if it's, you know, paying dividends and Mills Youth Academy hasn't really paid dividends. Um, you know, there's one or two that have come through, um, but not like to the fore. I mean, you know, you can mention John Marquis, but you know, yeah. John Marquis has carved out a pretty good, decent career at lower league level. But you know, it's not like your Teddy Sheringham's or your Tim Cain's, no, Stephen Reed, no. which is not fair on John Marquis, but at the same time, you know, it kind of reflects where Mills youth policy actually is that we can churn out, Decent professionals like you know Sid Nelson as well. Yeah, yeah. You can carve out a career and can do a job within New, Newport or wherever he is now. Yeah, yeah. but we yeah. still need those players that will become part and parcel of the team going forward, so, which you can build around, which every club needs really, especially at our level. And you know, Fodi was one of those men who used to get the players to come to the fruition, as it were. Um, you know, we, you know, we've mentioned the, we've mentioned Walker, you know, who signed, but still needed an arm put around them. You know, we mentioned the Sheringhams and the Fleerys. You know, it, it's no coincidence that some of our best youth policies and you know, players that have come through from non-league, etc., 
came in the era where Foley was assistant manager. I think he had a lot to do with that. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, there's a description of him here as a proper football man. I think that's that you know, a certain kind of type of person that, that kind of dedicates their life to the game. And I think Theo Foley was just such a an individual, both as a player and then as in management and, and um, coaching and, and assistant management. I mean, to be part of two of the great seasons for me as a Millwall supporter... And then from there to progress on to, I would imagine for many, many Arsenal fans, one of the, possibly the season of all, when they won the, the Football League in, uh, in such dramatic circumstances. That's a huge achievement for a, a football career, Neil, I'd say. That must be, um, yes. you know. It's, it's, you know, he left his mark, you know. So you always leave a legacy, and he did. You know, he was successful uh, in at least three different clubs in three different eras. Um, yeah, it's quite you know, something. Four of you, you include Millwall twice, you know, which, you know, which says a lot. But my ever-minding memory of him, funny enough, um, because, yeah, it sounds weird to say, but years ago, you never heard footballers talk. No, you, you, you rarely didn't. heard no, managers No, talk. no, very You rare. never heard assistant managers. And so when Theo Foley was, he used to be on Capital Radio and used to kind of summarise games with Jonathan Pierce. The first time I heard Theo Foley, first thing that struck me was, that's not how I thought he would sound. Because you look at him and you think he's got a real rough, deep, kind of booming voice. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't like that at all. It was like this, had this, you know, this Irish slant to it. And it was very softly spoken, which kind of didn't really go with the figure he portrayed as a player. And kind of when you looked at pictures of him in Shoot Magazine and things like that. But uh, it was quite yeah, ironic that his tones and he was very eloquent as well which you Absolutely. never associate yeah. with footballers at all but you no, know it, it's noticeable difference interesting I mean just doing a little bit of research for this I mean look through um, some old newspaper articles you, you know you're right he's, he's sidelined really he never made it at the main thrust of his career but he's sidelined as a media um, personality I suppose you'd call him on, on the various London radio stations but also done a bit of journalism some of the Irish newspapers had articles by Theo Foley um, and as you say an, an eloquent um, you know an eloquent man and that's not always what you expect in football rightly or wrongly um, I've just got a couple of um, quotes I want to finish us on Neil there's a, a great um, a tweet um, to Paul Foley, who sadly passed away. That's, this was um, Theo's son, who helped co-write the um, the book. Theo, give us a ball. But it was a, a tribute from someone called Lou Robinson. Um, said so they just finished reading Paul's book about his dad's life. It was a great read. Uh, Lou Robinson was an apprentice at Mill in the mid eighties, and what always struck me was your dad's enthusiasm every day, which was infectious. Um, totally recommend the book, um, which I think is quite a nice um, a nice. Um, you know, tribute. And then one final paragraph, which is actually a lift from the book itself. Um, Theo Foley's words, talking about playing and managing at Millwall. Um, he describes this as having some very good players, playing ex- expansive, attacking football in front of a passionate crowd. No matter what anyone says about Millwall fans, they are the best in the land when they're on your side. I love the feeling of belonging and the unity straight away. Real people, real football fans. And that's a really nice way to um, an epitaph, I think, for, for Theo Foley, who was involved in our two promotion seasons, 75-76, 84-85, and then went on to win the Football League and League Cup with Arsenal in 1988-89. Theo Foley, 1937-2020, a life in football. Thank you, Neil, for your involvement in the show. Really appreciate it, mate. Thanks for having me. 
Thank you for listening to Afton Millwall. If you enjoyed the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a cheeky little review. Over Dirty Millwall. Till next time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.